so we are bringing our series Pursuit to an end here. But even though our theme is coming to an end, our pursuit is not. Uh, we have plenty of year left and we have plenty of time to be able to continue in what we have. Some of us, we've, we've already been making strides. We've already been chasing after the things we wrote on, either on the board or we know are written in our heart. The, the pursuit of our lives it has been something we've been focusing on. Some of us, we've developed momentum. Others of us, we have perhaps have had experienced some setbacks or maybe some side trails that have emerged. Some, there's a greater understanding of how challenging actually this pursuit might be. And wherever we're at, I was considering how we could kind of uh, think about entering the remainder of the year in light of what it is we are chasing after. And I just think the best way I thought of was to settle on this idea. The strength of, of, of others has the ability to strengthen us. That is to say that other people's strength has the ability to make us stronger. And that is certainly true, especially in terms of our faith journey. But here is the hinge point. We must decide to become part of a united pursuit. That in order for that to be true, we must make the choice of stepping out of a place where we are pursuing and running after something alone. And we join up with a team who are chasing something in a united way. Now, this is not unique to a faith journey. It's certainly true for a faith journey, but it's also true in other areas of life. We know this. We know this because we know that companies and organizations that are capable of innovating or of improving other people's lives, or it may be at the very end to increase their pro profit margin, they do so because of the teams within those organizations. And they do so because they, they decide to soar on the strengths of the people within those organizations. We see this. We see this. We see this in, in, in sports, in athletics. We see this when a team is able to overcome the talent and the mind-blowing uh, abilities of an individual who just continues to break record after record after record despite their increasing age for the league they're in. We see how a team can overcome what others would say is not possible. We're seeing that unfold even now as Olympians are training and they are competing. Behind every Olympian is a devoted team. There's not one of them who's made it there alone. We also see this in military units, perhaps most effectively. I've always had an admiration for our military and our special forces, and perhaps recently because I found this, the title of this book interesting, I decided to go ahead and pick it up, and I started reading through this book called Resilience, and it's written by uh, a Navy SEAL. His name is Eric Greiton, and in it, he shared a story that, that I thought had a lot to do with what we're discussing here together. He was talking about, by the way, this book, is really a series of letters in which he is writing to a veteran, a former Navy SEAL, who is going through an emotionally turbulent time. 
And he's seeking to encourage him. And through these letters, he ends up writing on different themes. And one of them had to do with this reality. The strength of others has the ability to strengthen us. And he wrote about his experience in basic underwater demolition SEAL training, otherwise known as BUDS. And in it, he says, you know what, this six-month uh, long training, it had something that was searingly painful. He called it, he said, it was, it was so, it was probably the hardest portion of this training. He says it was the log PT. Log PT is an exercise that he described, and PT stands for physical training and has to do with um, carrying a log. And he says he recounted how it was, it was forcing seven shivering, cold, salt-soaked men to carry a 150-pound log, run it up over a 15-foot-high sand burn, drop it, pick it back up, and run it back into the water, hold onto it as they, they run into the ocean, and now they have to carry that soaked, slippery log back through that soft sand over those 15 feet, go through the finish line, only to discover that's not actually the finish line. They have to do it all over again until they say, you need to stop. And he says, doing that was physically brutal. But I found interesting what he was saying was, but that was bearable. What was unbearable was the unending nature of this activity. The idea that it would just continue to go on and on, not knowing when it would come to an end and discovering that when it did come to an end was when they would blow the whistle and say, this is your last lap. And when they would come and they would find themselves at the head of the pack, their crew of seven, and they would cross the finish line, drop the log, they would actually discover that they had cheated along the way. And so they have to re-pick that log up and redo the entire course. He says, and after doing, do you remember, he's writing this, right? Do you remember how after we would do that, we would cross the finish line the next time only to discover we didn't win and we get punished for being in second place? He says, that was brutal. Do you remember that, right? He's writing. And what he noted was he starts to tell him this, this, uh, this reality, the mental onslaught of this endless, repetitive, physically demanding Exercise. It did a couple things to the crews. It says one of the things that it did was the people, the individuals of one team, some crews, they started along the way. And you could see this. I asked them to kind of give us uh, an image of what this was like. And this was actually captured in one of the actual SEAL trainings. This is a, actually a group of cadets going through this. And he says, do you remember how when they were going, when we were going through this painful experience, you remember how the process internally, how that went? And some teams, their internal maps started telling them, you can't do this. You cannot bear the weight. And, and that, that sense of doubt and fear and anxiety started leading to their in, in, insecurity. And that insecurity ended up leading. Do you remember? He's writing to them. Do you remember how they started to turn on each other? And they started to wonder, you know what, this is actually really hard. And I wonder if the person behind me and the person in front of me is slacking off. And they started, they started cursing at each other. And they started blaming each other. And they started not working together, but turning against each other. And that slowly became the crumbling point of each crew that did that. They didn't see each other as strength givers, but as ones who took strength from them. And listen, do you remember how the crew, it rose and fell 
on the individual. And the individual rose and fell on the capacity of the crew. Do you remember that? But do you remember the other ones? The ones that actually succeeded. They were the ones who figured out how to work together. Uh, they were the ones who figured out how to lift that law cohesively. They, they understood they were struggling and they were, very, they were having an extraordinarily hard time, but they never thought they were having a harder time than the person to the right, to the left, in front, or behind. They recognized we're all in this together. And so when the person behind them faltered, they encouraged them. And when the person in front of them faltered, they encouraged them. And they received encouragement. And they ended up drawing near together. Do you remember how they figured out, we figured out, he says, how in a single breath we can lift this together. And how we can together move forward in a synchronistic fashion. He says, that, that, Experience. Do you remember how in the mess hall afterwards you would see the teams that won and the ones that didn't, the ones that succeeded and the ones that didn't. The ones that succeeded were laughing and joking and the beginning of lifelong friendships were being formed. And the ones that didn't, do you remember how quiet and isolated and individualized those crews were? One led to enemies, one led to long, lifelong friends. And then he wrote something that I thought, I, to me, it stood out being that he himself is a Navy SEAL the personification of strength and might. And he says, I remember that moment. It taught me something. One moment in log PT, I came to a realization. We were carrying the log at the low carry so that our arms extended in front of our bodies. We collectively had the log cradled in the crook of our elbows. My biceps and shoulders and back were burning. And I remember thinking, and I, I, I just would love to highlight this. If these guys weren't here right now, I'd probably stop. I wouldn't believe I could go on, but these guys are keeping on right beside me. And so because they're continuing to move forward, I guess I can too. Their strength ended up making him stronger. And I guess the reason I share this is because a lot of us, listen, a lot of us are pursuing what we believe God has placed into our hearts. Like most people, our pursuit is very clearly personal. Otherwise, it wouldn't ignite something within us. We are so driven passionately. We are convinced this is what we were made uniquely to do. Or perhaps this is our assignment in this season. And this is what we're supposed to chase after. And all the while, listen, we are convinced that God has something, has breathed this into our soul. And if he has, if he has, if it is a God-given dream, desire, passion that won't let us go, I, I guess what I'm saying is we have to recognize that it will be far more like a 150-pound log that cannot be carried without a team. That if it is something that God is inviting us into, it will be far bigger than any one of us are capable of completing. Which means that we need to understand in order to pursue the things that God has asked us to pursue, one of the greatest principles we could adapt is the strength of others has the ability to make us stronger. It does. And I cannot think of a person who was more individualistic in terms of within the scriptures than the Apostle Paul. And one of the 
portions that he wrote actually spoke about how he engaged in this life, in this journey, in this pursuit, but he never did it alone. In fact, if you open up your handout, um, we'll just take a look at a portion of a letter he wrote to the Philippians. And he wrote in Philippians 3, and it's called Philippians because he wrote to a group of believers in Philippi. But we'll just jump in at verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. I press on and make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What he is saying is, he's saying, you know my life pursuit. You know what I'm chasing after, but I want you to understand something. I'm the one chasing after it, but it didn't begin with me. In a way, what he's saying is that this pursuit of his began, though he is the one running. In in fact, he was the one who was at one point pursued. That God was the one who was relentlessly pursued pursuing him with his love and his grace. And we know this. We know part of Paul's story. Before he was Paul, his name was Saul. And he was a witness to the love personified through different people of Jesus. We're told that he resisted it passionately. And it fueled his anger. And it ended up moving him on a road on Damascus in which God ended up interrupting him in a rather dramatic fashion. And what Paul is saying is, there was a moment in my life where the love of God, yes, I felt it. And even Jesus called him out on it. You're kicking against it. But there was a moment, he says, where his love won me over. It won me over. And I I, I relented. And I let him. I let him into my life. And I discovered that he didn't just want to love me, but he initiated me into a a race to run. He invited me into a pursuit. And some of us, listen, we might be here. We might not be at the place where we would say, his love has won us over. And that's okay. I think it's okay We just must know that he is one who just never quits. That his love continually, tenaciously, gently, patiently, kindly invites us to consider and invites us to allow him to win us over. And through that, listen, well, Paul, others of us, we may actually be in a place where we would say, you know what? Yes, I have allowed him into my life and now his love is beating within my soul and he has now initiated me into a pursuit. And listen, he is, Paul is saying, I am pressing on toward that. I have not made it my own. I'm not, I'm far from perfect. I press on and make it my own. Brothers, I do not, in verse 13, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I haven't gone there yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. This is the one thing I do. I continue to move in such a way in which I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I am forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. In a way, in a way, what we we would not see in in this section, but we would clearly see in the letter he was writing to the Philippians, was that he was describing, he had just finished describing, That his life prior to God winning him over was a life that was um, dictated by a very different code of ethics. In many ways, we would say he was describing a life in which he measured his value and his sense of worth based on his accomplishments, based on his heritage, his knowledge, based on his social standing within his own tribe and his own people. And he lived a truly morally rigorous life. 
And those were the factors that he utilized to elevate his sense of worth and accomplishment. He, that was his pursuit. And what he's saying is, listen, when the love of Jesus entered my heart, something has changed. I no longer evaluate. It's not to say they, they mean nothing. It's just that they do not mean what it used to. And in a way, every step in this journey is something of a step. He's saying, listen, uh, how do I say this? I am no longer captured by my past. It no longer holds me. It no longer informs my present. It no longer dictates my future. You know what I am? I'm not captured by my past. I'm captivated by my future. I am filled with something of a desire for what is to come. And I'm discovering that every single step of the way is one in which uh, there is increasing wholeness, increasing sense of grace and strength and peace and hope, hope that does not disappoint. And so this, this is my pursuit now. You know this about me. I, I'm striving. I'm striving after that very thing God is calling me into. And each step, it takes me further away from who I was and how I was. And it takes me closer to who I'm supposed to be and who I will ultimately become. This is my pursuit. And this, this pursuit that is so intensely about his personal life ends up being something that he ends up turning and he does not just simply think about himself. In verse 15, he says, so let those of us let those of us, all of us, who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, look, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us, together, hold true to what we have attained. Do not drop it. Do not let it go. Do not go back. Do not retreat. Together, we can do this. This is what he's saying. Brothers, I want you to join me. I want you to join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those. Look, God has brought people around you that you can keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have within us. Remember this. You are never meant to do this alone. We're meant to do this together. And this pursuit of mine, yes, it is mine. But every single one of us has one. And every single one of us are to step in this way, to move in this way together. Which we would say, in the midst of that, that in itself is an encouragement. But what he is doing, what he is doing, and what we would not know, is that he is penning these words in a circumstance in which he, the only way to put it is, he is writing these words while sitting in a prison cell. He's writing these words while he is facing tremendous pressure to quit his pursuit. He's writing these words in the midst of a challenge that took him off of what he thought he was supposed to go in. It was not the direction he anticipated or he wanted to be in. But in this jail cell, the remarkable thing is this letter was initiated by the Philippians deciding to send him provisions and to send him something that would strengthen him. And as he receives these permissions, he decides, you know what, I want to thank them. And he, this letter comes out of that desire. 
And out of that desire to thank them for their strength giving to him, he decides to encourage them. Do you see the reciprocity? And in the midst of this, he writes, in fact, I, I just thought, I, we're not going to put it anywhere. I just would love for us to hear these words. In the beginning of his letter, he says, he says no, they know he's in prison. He says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped spread the good news. It looks bad. It's turning out that my pursuit is I increasing. In fact, everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. This is, and he's saying, that's a good thing. And then listen to this. And because of my imprisonment, that's because I'm not relenting and I'm continuing to pursue no matter what circumstances I'm in. Most believers here, they've gained confidence and they boldly speak God's message without fear. I have a pursuit but I'm you ended up strengthening me. That I receive that strength and I'm continuing. And my ability to continue has empowered those who are connected to me to continue. And not only continue, their strength has increased. And though it might look like I'm in dire circumstances, they are actually improving. Because we're connected. Do you see it? This is... Um, this is something that we would look at and given the circumstances, it has the touch of the miraculous. There's, there's really no other way to say it. it. It doesn't deny reality, but it doesn't allow the circumstances to squelch. And there's something that together, you sense they are overcoming what would destroy one person. This is, um, this is the idea. See, this is the case when we allow the strength of others to strengthen us and vice versa. I think this also demonstrates a couple things. It models for us, one, firstly, that the weight, and I should put this up there, the weight of the past is best, it's best lifted in the safety of community. I think we need to clarify what the Apostle Paul is not saying is he's not ignoring his past. He's not pretending it doesn't exist. He's not pretending that he didn't, he didn't live a rather violent life prior to meeting Jesus. He's not behaving in such a manner in which he would deny. He's not starting over. He's not doing that. This is what I most appreciate about him. He acknowledges it. And in a way, what he's doing is he's respecting the power of memories and the influence potential it has. And how did he do this? Now, his life, his past had to be reconciled through the means of people. It began with one man named Ananias who initiated him and spoke of God's love to him. And it continued when he was initiated not just into his own journey, but into a team through a man named Barnabas, whose name means encourager. The most individualistic person who was strong in his own right, even he needed people. And every step of the way, he always journeyed with others. See, it, it's hard to overstate this. When we try, listen, when we try to address our past alone because we're embarrassed or we're, we're afraid, 
You know what ends up happening? A couple things. One, uh, how do I say this? We end up thinking we could, we could deny it. Um, we think, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start new. I'm going to start fresh. All right? I'm, I'm, where, where can I do this? You know what? I could do this. I could do this on one of the coasts. All right? The East Coast, West Coast, I don't know. Let's, let's pick West Coast. Uh, where, where's the most beautiful city in, in the West Coast? Well, clearly San Francisco. Um, so I'm going to move to San Francisco, okay? I'm going to start new. No, I didn't grow up with anybody there. I didn't experience life there. And there's so much activity going on there. There's so much new stuff happening. I'm going to go there. I'm going to start new. New circumstances, new people, new surroundings, new me. You know what I, I, else I'm going to do? I'm going to go to church. There are good people at church. So that's a good environment to be in. And I'm good. I'm good. And here's the deal. That, that uh, redressing, that entertaining away, ignoring, pretending it doesn't exist, behaving as though we have the capacity to actually cut ourselves from our past, jump into a different setting and pretend as though it doesn't exist, you know what it, it, it ignores? Is that past decided to pack up their bags too and that past got on the plane as well and that past unboarded with us and that past moved into our home with us. And that past sneaks up on us. And that past surprises us. And that past undermines us. Others of us who would say, you know what, I'm not going to ignore it then. I'm going to accept it and go, go ahead and live with it. I'm going to go ahead and just resign myself to the reality that this is a life that in which I could just say, this is my lot in life. And so I'm not going to deny it. And we would say, wow, that's courageous. But reality is we are carrying a 150-pound log and every step gets harder and we start sinking. And the future isn't one in which we would say, man, that's bright and beautiful. It's actually bleak and painful. So what do we do? Well, we repair it. How do we repair it? Some things... Some things they will scar over. They will not completely heal. And they will be with us. And they will elicit pain. But we do it, listen, we do it in the company of others. And a lot of times, not all things, but a lot of times, the best way to start that repair attempt is to own what we are responsible for and practice that ancient of traditions. It's called repentance. Look at what James said to a group of believers who was struggling. He says, listen, I want you to practice something. I want you to confess your sins to each other. And I want you to pray for each other. Um, if you do this, understand that you will be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So what he is saying is, listen, when we bring our weight to someone else, it's not their weight, but we invite them to help us lift it. And it's one thing to receive words on a page speaking of God's love and his forgiveness and his grace, and it's another thing to hear them uttered through the lips of another person. And in together, being able to say, listen, yes, that is my past. Yes, I'd rather it not be so. Yes, it might be embarrassing. It might be painful even now. It brings tears to my eyes. But together, will you pray for me? And will you pray with me? You no longer have a hold on me. And yes, it might give me a limp. 
Will you walk with me? Will you strengthen me? But what if it comes up? Then we, we go to that other again. And again. And again. And again. Because it was dealt with. What Jesus did on the cross in his burial and his resurrection has the power to say, you have a brighter future. You have a brighter future because what we discovered, listen, is our ability to pursue, it is sharpened by our friendship, the friendships we form. Look at these verses um, in Ecclesiastes in the handout. It says, if the iron, this is Solomon, if the iron is blunt and what is not sharp in the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. Think about this. What he's saying is, if one, if, if somebody is a lumber, lumberjack, and he has an axe, and he goes out to the tree. That is his pursuit. He's, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna remove this. And he goes at it. It starts, and it gets, it's, it's sharp. But the, the harder he goes, the longer he goes, the harder it gets. And the harder he has to work to get less return. It's the law of diminishing returns. He's saying, life is that way. This is why day one of the year, our pursuit is so easy. Six weeks in. Have you ever felt it gets harder the longer you go? You have to work harder just to take a single step that yesterday you could have taken three? Solomon is saying, you know why? Because the tendency in that is to get alone and to just say, I'm just going to muscle this out. He's saying, no, that's not how you do it. Wisdom tells you to sharpen the blade. How do you sharpen the blade? Same man says iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Um, the best way we can put this is there is something, of, it's not about hurting each other. It's about encouraging, spurring each other onto good works and love and forgiveness. It's about sharing one's grievance with another so that they can then remind us of the goodness of God in our lives and help us. Don't, don't do anything reckless. Forgive in this situation, I understand it's very frustrating. Yes, it is frustrating. How do we love? How do we endure? Let's do this together. Let's pray together. Let's talk about this together. How are we going to overcome? There's a sharpening effect when we do this, when we encourage each other and strengthen one another. But it also has a, a cleansing effect as well because it scrapes away. See, the doling of the blade is stuff that is unworthy. And what, what the sharpening does is it scrapes away the things, the qualities in our heart that lead us to bitterness and, and jealousy and resentment and envy, which we are all susceptible to. None of us are above it. But it is in friendship that we discover the ability to strengthen each other and let things go. And you know what we do when we do this? When we choose to step into somebody else's life and be that person for somebody, we choose to speak words of life into them. Those words of life were first thought within our minds. Then when we speak them, we are the first ones to hear them. And when we say them, we're the ones putting utterance to them. We say it to one person once, we hear it three times. It solidifies what we want to see happen in somebody else's life within our own soul. The same thing happens back to us. The strength of someone else can truly strengthen us. Because at the end of the day, our pursuit, listen, our pursuit is so much more connected to direction, not perfection. <laughs> the Apostle Paul himself said, listen, I am not already perfect. 
But this one thing I do, I press to make it my own. I'm moving forward. <laughs> moving forward, I thought it was going to go here, but I find myself in a jail cell, and guess what? I'm still moving forward. I'm still doing it. And you're helping me, and I thank you for that. I'm going to help you. We're going to do this. It's not about perfection. It's about moving in the right direction. One step at a time. This, this journey of Paul's ended up converting him miraculously from one of the most passionate opposers to the way of Jesus, who literally was described as one who uttered violence in his breath. And it transformed him into a man who became, in the first century, one of the biggest advocates of Jesus, who endured and suffered, who shed sacrificially blood and pain and tears and angst. And the man he, listen, the man he was at the end of his life was nothing really like the man before he encountered the one who pursued him. It was a miraculous transformation. It was something that he says, this, this is what leads me. This is what is meant to lead us. Each of our races, listen, is not decided by our ability to race it perfectly. If it was, none of us would have a chance. That's why we need Jesus. But it does mean we have to run. It does mean we have to pursue. And it certainly means we need others in our lives. What if we falter? What if we fall? What if we stumble? We get back up. And Lord willing, we've surrounded ourselves with people that will help us get back up. And if we find ourselves in the midst of somebody stumbling, we help them get back up. Because what we discover, what we discover is that this this journey is fueled by something of divine power that fuels our heart with grace and unending kindness, patience, and a relentless love that simply never quits. Do we understand that? Our pursuit is possible because he will never quit on us. Look at what he said to the believers in Ephesus. It's a, it's a verse not often cited, but I just think it says so much. Look, it says, so God, listen, you know why he does this? Because he does this so he can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. He does this so it, it is shown in all he has done for us who are united in our pursuit with Christ Jesus. This pursuit of ours is possible because we are united to the one whose love will never stop, whose wealth of grace and kindness knows no end. We are united to Jesus and he unites us with each other. We together, individually, yes, are capable of running forward. I don't know what our past looks like. I don't even know what our present might be like. I know this. Our future is one in which each one of our lives, if we could put it this way, it's a miracle in the making in which he will hold us up like a trophy 
Do you remember where they started? Look at them now. I did that. And I, I did that, not me and them alone. They did that. Together. May we unite, certainly with Jesus, in our pursuit. But may we unite with those he has placed in our lives. May we be in a united pursuit. In a moment, we're going to receive our time of giving our closing song. But Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you, you, you meet us where we're at individually, but you never leave us alone. I thank you that you know everything about us. You never use it to shame us. I pray that you would help us take steps to connect or reconnect with those you have placed in our lives, to be ones who give strength and ones who receive strength. I pray, Lord God, that each one of our stories be something of your work of art, something others would say, what a miracle that life is. Help us unite with you and others in this pursuit. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.